and welcome to Hospice Insights, The Law and Beyond, where we connect you to what matters in the ever-changing world of hospice and palliative care. An alternative to consolidations, key considerations for management services organizations. Adam, glad you're here talking about more corporate stuff, my favorite. (laughs) So I'm talking to the corporate guru here. So um, we thought we'd do this. I mean, we've been doing a series of various podcasts you and I have on different ways people are coming together and um, various transactional kinds of things. And so this is sort of in that genre, so to speak, of talking about management services uh, organizations, what they are, what they aren't. And we won't rehash, Adam, here, all of the climate of what's going on in hospice, because that would be like a hardcore history podcast uh, yeah. that goes on for like eight hours or something. <laughs> so we won't go there. But let's start with sort of why do people need alternatives to transactions, right? Like what's going on here that makes some people willing to consider a management services organization or as we'll say throughout MSO? A couple things are sort of going on right now. One, we've seen changes and just generally greater attention to how hospices report management and ownership on their 855s. So your your CMS enrollment information. Um, we also just saw the final rule for the expansion of the 36 month rule to include hospices, which will go into effect January 1, 2024. So that'll pro- prohibit changes of majority ownership um, in hospices uh, within 36 months of initial enrollment or your last uh, change of majority ownership with some exceptions. Um, And then some uh, announcements about prepayment review. Right now, these are targeted at uh, certain states, Arizona, California, Nevada, and Texas. But uh, CMS intends to expand this regime of prepayment review to include other states. Um, And they essentially scrutinize hospices that are new enrollees in Medicare or those that have just undergone uh, a change of ownership through an asset deal or 100% change in equity. So uh, generally, just a lot of scrutiny around um, traditional transactions and M&A. So stock deals, asset deals, mergers, those are all the sort of traditional transactions that are receiving a lot of scrutiny. Yeah. And it's not that we're not working on some, but I, I think you're right that, and I think everything that's out there says that deal activity has dropped off, not everywhere. And it doesn't mean you can't do deals, but I think it's what eyes wide open if you're going to do this, because you got to <laughs> yeah. have a, plenty of cash in the bank to deal with all the prepayment review and, you know, some cash flow bumps, uh, you know, if you get to do the transaction, because the 36-month rule is going to have some impact on that. Yep. 
I also think some of the clients that are coming to us to consider an MSO are, you know, including, you know, some nonprofits who are saying, you know, mm-hmm. Meg, I listened to your podcast and about different ways to integrate. I'm not there yet, but I understand the need to create administrative efficiencies to reduce my cost of care so I can position myself better with payers because payers care about my cost of care. And so I think some of the conversations we're having with folks right now is saying, I'm not ready to integrate with other people right now, but I do want to be able to reduce some of the duplication. And so why don't you share a little bit about how MSOs help people, you know, create some administrative efficiencies. So the MSO Management Services Organization is, you know, as the name implies, uh, a place to consolidate management and administrative operations uh, in a different entity that that could serve multiple provider entities. So the operating entities. Um, so you could consolidate administrative personnel, billing, financial personnel, all of the non-clinical aspects of a hospice uh, in the management services organization. And, and when you have multiple hospices that are sort of doing the same thing, I think that's where we see MSOs being an appealing option. Um, they kind of they kind of see another hospice that that they're aligned with either operationally or culturally to, to some respect or they just like their operations and they think well we're we're kind of doing a lot of the same things what if we can consolidate this in an mso um streamline operations and still allow the hospices to focus on focus on the clinical aspects of care um but the administrative and management aspects could be consolidated and, and reduce a lot of du- duplication. And I think that there are some folks that, you know, this is a precursor to maybe doing something larger in the future, but I'm not quite there yet. My board's not quite there yet. And so it doesn't mean that you won't do something on that other chart I was talking about is I'm going to become clinically integrated or maybe have a parent subsidiary model through a member substitution. But this is sort of dipping the toe, as we say, in the water about how do we work together? And so obviously, this is I don't want to say newish to hospices because I think there there are folks that are doing this now, but I think it it is a newer thing that some hospices are are thinking of doing, even though it's very common in other parts of healthcare. And so, as is most things, like it feels like we're inventing the wheel, but we're really not, right? <laughs> yeah. We're just doing what other people have been doing for some time, but that's sort of get into some of the nuts and bolts. So I'm listening to this. I have some people that I feel like are somewhat aligned with me. I want to create an MSO. What are the kinds of things that I'm thinking about? So you talked Mm -hmm. about, I need to create a separate legal entity. Yep. Step one is it's, it's gotta be something. Um, You got to create a new entity. And so 
deciding what that entity is going to be um, is a key first step. And you know, the two obvious choices are a corporation or an LLC. Uh, and we see a lot of times um, clients choose the LLC just because it provides greater flexibility in governance, um, requires less than a corporation in governance. And so when you're thinking of the MSO as kind of a, a first step in um, partnering or consolidating, but with the idea that you're preserving institutional independence, the LLC, which may not you know, require a separate board and a lot of buy-in uh, from a governance perspective, that could be appealing because you can still say, you know, each hospice has its own board and there's not kind of this heavy-handed MSO out there with its own board and, and all of that. Um, so the LLC can, can simplify matters and is uh, more straightforward to set up. The corporation, where we see this being a popular option, is with the nonprofits. From primarily a cultural perspective, some nonprofits may prefer, uh, if they're going to associate with an MSO, to have that MSO be set up um, under state law as a nonprofit entity. Um, so if that's the case, that that sort of leaves the corporation as the only option. If the nonprofit consideration really isn't important, then the LLC kind of emerges as the, the front runner in terms of preference. And you touched on governance, which I think in all these transactions we've worked on, not necessarily MSOs, but much, much of the the finagling goes around governance, right? Governance is really important, especially when you're working with community boards and you're mm-hmm. coming together. Lots of attention and time is spent on configuration right. of the board and all that stuff. And so I do think, as you said, the LLC can be a way to have, I think, more streamlined um, management of this MSO, then I have a whole nother board. And I mean, it just ends up lots of meetings, lots of right. all this stuff. So I think a lot of people choose the LLC route. And then if you do have an LLC from a governance standpoint, now I'm going back 25 years to my corporate law <laughs> member manage or manager managed, right? right? Yep. Yep. You got options. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> member managed or manager managed. Um, and within that, the, the respective powers and rights that the members and managers have um, vis-a-vis each other, if there, if there is going to be a member managed versus manager managed entity. So, yeah, you you can you can build out the LLC governance as much as as you want, but there is flexibility in terms of of who manages it. So, a very simple approach would be to have it manager managed and appoint uh, a few key executive or individuals from the the hospices forming it as those managers and and give them plenary authority to operate the MSO, uh, and then you've got a a pretty streamlined governance structure. Yeah, I don't want to poo-poo, you know, being thoughtful here, but sometimes I think people 
because we're humans, right? We stumble over like it's got to be perfect and I have to have everything figured out. And then it's like TikTok, you know, a year and a half later and I can't lift off anything because I stumble on the first question. Mm-hmm. That was like when I was doing my will and I start with the question, who gets my dog? And then I was like, I don't know. And then five years later, you know, I do have a will now, but like, it's just, I think make decisions and move on. Nothing like can't be redone or reshuffled later. So I mean, I think that's different when you're dealing with, you know, a member substitution and, you know, this governance is sort of feels a bit more written in stone. I mean, I think that, it's important to try to lift these things off because, you know, time is ticking in terms of if you want to start up something, I don't want to say don't wait for perfect, but like Mm -hmm. begin, right. And then test it out. And then, you know, if you need to, to make some modifications, you can do that. So I think in terms of the kinds of things that we're seeing people consolidate operations on, you know, billing, for example, I think that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there might be one hospice that is really good at that and, you know, consolidating that in to a few people instead of having six people do billing among three hospices. You could maybe have two people doing that because, you know, they can be totally focused on that or perhaps how you do your telephone triage at night or how you, you know, are doing compliance or, I mean, there's lots of different sort of back office, non-core services that Mm -hmm. you can consider doing. Obviously, you have to have an administrator at the hospice level and stuff like that. But when you think about it, there are a lot of different things that folks can you know, HR could be something that you consolidate, you know, in terms of like some of the administrative things. And it gets a little bit more complicated. We're not going to cover that here about could you do something from a benefit standpoint and consolidate benefits um, for staff. And so those are things that we can talk uh, offline on. But um, I guess any other thoughts about consolidation of operations? The physical location and, and tangible assets, I think, are are two other big issues that, I mean, to, to your point that you don't have to get it perfect from the outset, that that's true. It's hard to kind of come up with this entity and immediately know everything the entity's ever going to need to have. Yeah. But from the outset, you know, where are these, these employees of the MSO going to work? Uh, whose office is that going to be? Um, and then what do you need to make that run? So there are there are initial sort of assets that you need to to have at the MSO just to operate. But no, I think it's a it's a good point operationally that part of the part of the job is just organizing the MSO and starting uh, <laughs> and not not trying to to write the whole will at once. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so okay. Just get it in place. Like, begin. <laughs> yeah. you know, by yeah. the time I do that, I won't have a dog because I'll be on my third dog. Anyway, I, I agree. And maybe that's one tidbit for everyone because you and I have been working on a variety of different projects. And I think these things are hard, but also don't overthink it. <laughs> you know, like, this yeah. isn't a permanent thing and like some other things most things can always be unraveled but this is 
sort of a low risk proposition is test mm-hmm. the waters. Obviously, if you consolidated some things and want to unravel it, then you're going to have to then hire back people or, you know, fill positions again. But it's, I think that would be an observation I have. I don't know if you share it, Adam, in working with folks all across the country. I think that there's a lot of trepidation. And I think that people feel like it's hard to make decisions on this kind of stuff. And I think people, I don't know if it's fear or just like, I don't want to do the wrong thing. And, and so I I think there's a lot of trepidation about some of these, these things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I've seen that too. And I think it's a number of reasons. One is just uh, an interest in optimizing everything, which is understandable and admirable. Uh, but difficult. But I think also, um, you know, especially with the nonprofits, they've invested a lot of time and energy into developing their way of of doing things. And it's, it's often a good way. And so any concession or change can seem like backing off of this, this program that you've built mm-hmm. and this way of doing things. So yeah, I, I certainly understand the, the difficulty in, in doing that. But that is sort of part of the the game for consolidating or partnering with other hospices is figuring out what works best and what doesn't. Well, and I think everyone's having these conversations because it's not working right now and we have to change, right? Yeah. Like, yep. you know, obviously, if everything was paradise, you know, and people felt like they had enough resources to do the work that they want to do. That's one thing, but I think people are getting really stretched and there's just a lot of challenges. And so I think no matter what, there's going to just be, you have to be open-minded to new ways of doing things. And so um, this can be one way, obviously not the only way and might not be for everyone, but I guess as we close up here, you got to fund this organization, you create this new organization, you got to fund it, right? And, yep. you know, so, and I know in California, for example, there's a new law about certain transactions that you have to report to the state, right, Adam? Mm-hmm. Right. And MSOs might be included in that. And so there can be state reporting requirements too about with MSOs and stuff. I don't know if you have any other thoughts you want to share on the funding piece of it. Yeah. Um, so the funding piece is can kind of raise a few different issues. The the first would be initial capital contributions. So when the MSO is formed, um, what is it going to need to operate day one? So pay employees, pay all obligations of the MSO. And so that would need to be a, a contribution made from from its members when it's formed. Um, And then there are subsequent ongoing capital contributions or the possibility of those that you'd want to think through um, for the operating agreement for the MSO. And and so when can those additional capital contributions be called and under what circumstances? And so that's something that the the member hospices would need to think through and and get get comfortable on, you know, how much are we going to have to contribute to this and, and how much are we binding ourselves to contributing capital to the MSO? 
Um, and then another way that the MSO can can be funded is through a management fee. And so some people operate the MSO on a zero margin. Um, so basically all the funds are distributed out to the hospices. Um, others will leave some margin as a management fee in the MSO. Um, and so, again, that's kind of a uh, a consideration that the hospices would need to have is, is there going to be a fee that the MSO takes? And if so, how much? And that can depend on on state laws. So some states have restrictions on how management fees can be paid, whether it's a percentage of total revenue or a flat fee. Um, so wherever you're forming the MSO, you want to check state regulations uh, to see if that's a permissible way to structure the management fee. Got it. And then I feel like we can't do a podcast without talking about 855s. Right. So maybe that's our closing thing is just because ownership isn't changing um, on the 855, Adam, there is there is a place where you would need to list a manager on the 855. Is that right? Yes. Um, so the 855 requires you to disclose uh, any managing organization that exercises operational or, or managerial control um, or uh, has a direct or indirect influence over the day-to-day -day operations of the provider. The structure is that we're describing with an MSO being, you know, fairly involved in operations, especially for consolidating administrative personnel at the MSO level, um, that would be sort of a degree of control that you would most likely need to report on an 855. And it's it's ultimately sort of a factual analysis as to whether you fall under this definition. Um, so to give an example of of what clearly would not fall under this definition if you're if a hospice just contracts out like payroll to a third party to handle their payroll well that's not something we would expect to report mm -hmm. under the 855 they're not they're not exercising yeah. control over the operations but it's a matter of degree so other MSOs if they're exercising uh, control over day-to-day -day operations that's the kind of thing that you would need to disclose on the 855 and to close it out, we can't talk about coming together if we don't talk about antitrust, which yes. our friend and colleague, Wendy Ahrens, has been on the podcast where we've talked about antitrust. So she's our go-to person on that. But I think anytime we're working on these kinds of things, we need to consider antitrust and specifically what kinds of information the hospices are sharing, right? Because you're not under one umbrella, really. I mean, this is more discreet than that. And so I think you need to be mindful of antitrust considerations, especially as the climate for antitrust enforcement has sort of ramped up. Exactly. Yep. How you're sharing information, what information you're sharing, is it competitively sensitive? Those are all the things to watch out for and that we ask Wendy about. Yes, because I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to go there. Thank God for Wendy. And and I think that lawyers can like. I feel like we kill dreams, Adam. <laughs> yeah. Like we're because you yeah. know lawyers will ask lots of questions and what about this? What about that? And I yeah. think that 
we can be good with <laughs> for that. But also, I guess I want to leave people, and I know I'm harping on this a bit, but like begin, right? Like these things, and I think you said it well, this can be an iterative process. You don't have to figure out everything and like the 10-year plan for this MSO. Just it can, you can begin it. And if it's not valuable, you can unwind it. I mean, it's not the end of the world to do these things, or perhaps this is a great partnership and you want to be integrated um, more fully. And then you end up on the other chart where we talk about different ways of integration or member substitution or, you know, something like that. So I think um, it's worth exploring these things, but also don't spend two years trying to find perfection um, yeah. with some of this stuff because I, I think it can be, um, we can overthink things sometimes as leaders trying to find the best path forward and sometimes, you know, try it. And if it doesn't work, try something else, right? Like, so, um, but anyway, well, these these have been fun projects to, to work on and doing this this work to help our, our clients sort of transform and do things differently and to be a guide for them. Yeah. It's a fun time. Yeah, a fun time and a fun area to be in because a lot of challenges, uh, but also, like you said, opportunities for growth. So it's exciting to be a part of that. Yeah. Well, until next time, because until next time. we're, we're going to, there's just constantly things to talk about. But thanks. Thanks for your time and, and sharing your insights, Adam. Yep. Thanks for having me. Well, that's it for today's episode of Hospice Insights, The Law and Beyond. Thank you for joining the conversation. To subscribe to our podcast, visit our website at hushblackwell.com or sign up wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, may the wind be at your back. Bye.